0: Let's, uh, let's get going. Good morning, guys. We are in, uh, in case we've forgotten, it seems like it's been forever, we're in Philippians chapter 2, and uh, I realize this doesn't sound like a lot, but there's a lot in these, these few verses that we're hoping to, to get through. So we're going we're gonna to read from uh, verse 1 of Philippians, but we're going to stop at verse 16. So my goal is to... Uh, 16, uh, 18, actually, we'll stop at 18, 18. So 1 through 18 is our <clears throat> is our goal for today. So, uh, and it's actually 12 through 18 is where I'm hoping to have it all fit. So, just to kind of give you a, a, a wrap up of where we start, and we're starting with the fact that we're we're encouraged that unity is the most important thing in the church. You remember what, what Jesus prayed for in John 17? Remember that?
1: All
0: be one. Yeah, yeah, he prayed for unity. Uh, how unified is the church today, you know? <laughs> it looks kind of shady to me. Yeah, <laughs> it looks does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, and it, you know, sometimes it's the extremes that are the ones that split off of denominations. You know, whatever the extreme is, the far, the far right or the far left, as the case may be, they're the ones that usually get upset. And uh, that's what causes our struggle. All right, we got bagels, guys, so right. we're set to go. <clears throat> so uh, as we start today, we want to just you know, rethink about that first, those first few verses and, and the fact that Jesus is our example. And man, you know what, it's, it's a little tough to live up to his example, just saying. You know, from my perspective, I, I have a hard time being, uh, being that, uh, putting other people's first and, you know, humility and all that stuff. We all know my stories about humility. Or lack thereof, according to a computer program. So, anyhow, let's Everyone have a. On else, you know, I used to. I used to when I was pastoring. I used to always go to the back of the line when uh, the uh, at the buffet. You know, at the the, the potluck for the, the church. You know, they'd always want to. No, 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 no. I, you know, you guys go through anything that's left. I'll I'll back clean up. You know, because I always thought cleanup was a good place to be. But anyhow, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll start with uh, Denny's table, Dan's table, Gary's table, Tom's table, and our table. We'll read through the first 18 verses of uh, Philippians chapter 2, but let's pray first, shall we? Father, thanks again for the opportunity to spend time in your word. Thank you for uh, the uh, opportunity to... Um, sharpen iron against iron with our brothers here today we just pray that you would guide and direct in our time make it a profitable time for all of us in jesus name amen. amen all right let's take a look Chapter two or in verse three now. Three
2: now.
1: Proceed. <clears throat> and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross.
2: Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is
1: above every name.
2: God did this so every person will bow down. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling.
0: For it is God who works in you uh, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Okay, so <clears throat> Mark Twain s- said or wrote a uh, few things are harder to put up with than the annoyance of a good example. <laughs> and uh, I think that's probably w- one of the things that's most annoying about a good example is the inability to accomplish the same achievements in our own life. Have you ever tried to compare yourself to someone else? And, and found that you're wanting and what you think <clears throat> you know, they've accomplished. I think one of the things that makes uh, for this is that, uh, unless a person can enter into our own lives and share his skills, we can't attain to the same kind of achievements or accomplishments that someone else has. It, it takes more than an example of an outsider. It takes the power on the inside in order for this to happen. And uh, Jesus is presented as the great example, and uh, you know you, we read it, we agree with it, we admit that he had he was submissive to the will of the Father. He came not to to not to be served, but to serve. And then we're told that we're supposed to live out that same example. I guess the question is, how you doing with that? And I think the problem is most of us would admit, you know, not so well at least me i don't i can't necessarily speak for all of you well there's a few of you i could speak here for but no no Uh, (laughs) so it's this this divine pattern that he sets down and but it takes the divine power of god to accomplish it we can't do it in and of ourselves I, i will tell you that if i try to do it in my own ability yeah, it isn't going to work. Imitation is not what's important. It's incarnation that's important. Christ, according to Galatians 2.20, he says, Christ lives in me. That's how we accomplish these things. So the Christian life is, is, it should not be a series of ups and downs, although I will readily admit that mine is. It's supposed to be a, a process of ins and outs. God's, God works in us and we work out of that is the plan so let's take a look at this Um, he says uh, Paul says that obedience is the primary responsibility of the church both collectively and individually which is kind of interesting because for that to be accomplished this idea of obedience it first must we first must devote ourselves to the practical Christianity that's in 2 12 and 13 and then by working on our salvation that's going to be in verses 14 and 16 and then never succumbing and complaining and grumbling which is part of that and then finally we get to participate in the joy of ministry that not only rejoicing with him but sharing in paul's outlook which is what we're supposed to do so how does that work well first of all <clears throat> Paul talks about salvation, and he talks about it from a couple of perspectives. First, he talks about it as a past event. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For, grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the past. But there's also a, a future consummation of our salvation. Romans uh, 13, says, And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. How is that possible? How is it both possible that it's a past event and also a future event?
2: Salvation is here and now for us, but we don't have
1: the complete fruits of salvation
0: until we're in heaven. Yeah, yeah. Gary's mentioned before, I remember Gary, you talked about what is it? You, how do you say it? Um, we talk about for
2: the salvation, past, present, and future. The right. The, uh, being yep. Present
0: is, uh, sanctification. Yeah. Is
2: the
0: glorification. glorification. So salvation, which is justification, sanctification, and glorification. So we're in a process right now of sanct- being sanctified, <clears throat> which simply means that we're hoping to get a head start on the glorification that's the whole purpose of why we're here we're to we're to pro- start the process of that okay so so personal salvation brings about responsibilities and paul talks about that as being obedient paul really meant in the first place we're to act like christians so sometimes you Fake it until you make it, you know what I'm saying? You start by practicing being a Christian. We'll get there in a second, Tom. And and then after that, you eventually become that because you've been doing it. Tom, you had a comment you wanted to make.
2: Yeah, I, I'm thankful for my gift of salvation, but I'm one of the extremely unlucky ones that suffer severely from the Apostle Paul
0: syndrome. <laughs> Which is you persecuted the church or otherwise?
1: Romans 7, uh, yeah. 14
0: through 25. You, you, want, you want to do right, just have a hard time getting it done, right? Yeah, Deb, man, I'm right with you, bud. I'm, I think I might, I might be on the bottom or the top of that list, depending on which is the worst. Yeah, that, that would be where I would find myself, too. I have, the, I have the, the best intentions of being a good Christian. I just have a hard time living up to what God expects. Now, the problem with that is I try to do it in my own power. So how does that happen? It happens by and we're going to look at that. There's three ways that we learn to learn obedience and we learn to grow in Christianity. And I'll tell you the first one is the word of God, the second one is prayer, and I'll wait for the third one until we get to that part of the passage. Cuz so you're not going to like the third one. <clears throat> Just saying, okay. And we'll 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 take a look at that. But the church is addressed collectively and and in uh, additionally individually so one of the things that's kind of interesting is this this passage in in 12 where it says to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling what does that mean does that mean I'm not saved yet is that what it means I haven't made it yet Ready? Okay?
1: Well, I mean, you think about it this way. God created us in his own image. Mm -hmm. He gave us free will, free choice. Mm -hmm. You can define that a thousand different ways, Mm -hmm. as denominations do. Um, Because he didn't have to do any of this, he gave us a way of life Mm -hmm. and a path to follow.
0: Okay? So how do we work out our own salvation? Is that, some, is that a process? Is that, is that what, what Gary mentioned when he said justification? The second one was sanctification. Is that what we're talking about here?
2: Yeah, because I think we have a choice.
0: Okay. Choice All right. There so
2: something that, that choice. The issue is that's got to go to a point you are to make that choice.
0: Okay. I
1: do what I do because I want to do it. Okay.
0: Right. Tom's got it. Amen. Yeah. And, and not just you, I think the rest of us too, Tom. I used to tell
2: people all the time, what advantage did we gain by learning between good and
1: evil?
0: Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Well, no, we learned it just how bad we really are. Yeah. Think about it. We were never supposed to know that. Right. We were never supposed to know the difference between good and evil. We were supposed to constantly be in a constant state of innocence which is not what we have. So this idea of working out, it's kind of interesting, there's a word play here. Do you notice in verse 12 it says to continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. So God works in you and as a result of that you work out your own salvation. What does that mean? It means that you do things that would be appropriate if you are a Christian. You work for your own salvation. You work for full completion of your salvation. It it in in the Greek it, it carries an interesting uh, play. It it it's like <clears throat> it, it would be like working on a mathematics problem. You know where you gotta you gotta do the longhand. You know you gotta do it all, put it all down, and work it all until you get to the point. Or in in Paul's day, it was kind of like working in a mine. It was getting all of the valuable ore out of the mine. Or, or if, if you were a, a farmer, it would be like you were working in the field and you had to bring in the, the harvest, and you wanted to work until you, all of the harvest was in. It, it, it means it's the idea of achieving Christ-likeness, which only comes as a result of God working in us. There's nothing we can do to make us like Christ. But as God works in us, we become more like him, and we work out of that and so we can we are conformed according to Romans 8:29 we're conformed to the image of his son. And so there are going to be problems in our lives but God says that we're to work them out. It it it's the possibility, it's the potential that God gives us. Now it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the, the, there's a story of a um, a young girl, and it could be repeated by a number of us, who who arrives home from college to spend a holiday with her parents, and her parents notice that her behavior is a little unusual, and uh, and they're wise enough to wait, which is, would not be me. My, my wife would be ready to jump on it right now. What's, what? Why are you acting that way, you know? But but the, the issue is we wait to have them bring up the problem, to share it, and so at some point in time, it, it happens during the holidays, and so the father says, you know, tell us what's on your heart. What's going on? And, and we want to be able to pray with you about it, whatever it is. And uh, she's, the, the girl says, well, you know how when I was in high school, I talked about how I wanted to become a nurse. And it's because mom was a nurse. And I, and I guess I expected you, I thought you expected me to follow in her footsteps. And he said, but, you know, I can't do it. I, I don't want to be a nurse. Maybe I'm scared of blood. Maybe I don't like the, you know, all the stuff that goes on in the hospital. I don't know, but for whatever reason, I just don't feel called to that. And so, you know, the appropriate response would be for the parents to say uh, that, you know what? Your father and I, if you're the mom or the, if you're the dad, your mom and I, we want you to do what God's will is for your life, not to be a carbon copy of us. And, and you know, if you were to do anything else than whatever God's will was, I, I hope that our response would be, then we don't want you to do that. We want, and we would be, the only way we're going to be happy as your parents would be for you to do what God called you to do. Right? So, the the idea there is that she she did the you know this this girl does the courageous thing by facing what God's will is and deciding she wants to work out her own salvation her own Christian life if you will and not what somebody else wants for her it it was like when I was in college I think I've told you the story you're probably getting tired of hearing of it but that's okay it's one of the few that I have that I can remember um so I'm in my junior year and I hear a message, and what, the only thing, I don't even know who the, the, the author or the, the preacher was at chapel. The only thing I remember was, are you going to God and saying, just put your John Hancock on my plan for my life? Or are you saying to God, what is your will for my life, and I will do whatever it is? And I realized that in one instance in my life specifically, which was a girl, that I had decided that she was going to be my wife, and I'd never asked God if that was really His plan. It just seemed like it worked; it made sense. We were from the same church. She was studying what at that time was considered home economics, which meant that she was perfect to be, uh, you know, uh, a businessman's wife and host, you know, dinner parties. And, and if I went into the pastorate, she would be great for that as well. And you know, she knew how to play the piano, and she was a great little homemaker, and I thought that was perfect. And then, and I wrestled an entire night saying, you know, no, no, I don't want to do that, God. I want to do my thing. I don't want to give up what I already planned. My plan is so much better. Well, I have to tell you that I decided that finally, <clears throat> after arguing with God, you know how you argue with God, and I had no peace. And finally, I just said, okay, fine, whatever you want, I'll do it. And suddenly I had peace, I could go to sleep. I got maybe one or two hours of sleep that night. And I felt pretty good the next day, why? Because I had finally admitted that I would do what God wanted. Now the tough part was I had to go tell that girl that we weren't gonna get married. The great thing was that I had already met (laughs) the gal who would become my wife. And I dated her within a month of breaking up with my former girlfriend. And now I've been together with this woman for, yeah, man, 20, 42 years. 42 years. I look at her and I go, man, I can't imagine my life without my wife. But if I hadn't worked out what God was laying on my heart, if I had ignored that, I think I'd have missed a, some great blessings along the way. So <clears throat> one of the wonderful things about being a Christian is, is the knowledge that God has a plan for our lives. And by the way, if you don't know what that plan is, he's told me all about it. And for the right price, I'd be happy to share it with you. Just saying. Um, But but his will is to help us work out, and he will help us work out whatever that plan is for his glory. Our God is a God of infinite variety. He doesn't expect us to be cookie cutters of the guy next to us. He wants us to be different. But within that difference, there's also the opportunity that we are also becoming like Christ. God is infinite. And there are infinite ways of being like Christ. And that's part of the part that I'm going, oh, I'm so glad for that. This play on words is awesome. God says, here's the application. Um, I want you to, uh, to take the initiative. God takes the initiative and and." and then provides us the opportunity to work out our salvation. And then God starts the work and then gives us the stewardship responsibility to finish the work, at least to continue it forward, under his authority, under his power, under his direction. And so the, the, he always, you know, it's like in worship. We think that we come to worship and it's the way that we, we talk to God. No, what happens is God does something in us and our response as we look at who God is and what God is doing in our lives our response response to God's action and God's uh, God's personhood is to worship him is to worship him we never initiate worship it's always the response to who God is and what he's doing in our lives and that's the same thing with God gives us the initiative God gives us the power God allows us to do something. But here's the thing. God's initiative and God's power is important in the broadest scope of it. But here's the other, the secret. He never tolerates passive Christianity. He never tolerates passive Christianity. Tom's, Tom's biting his tongue.
1: Yeah. and treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. I mean, just the definition...
0: Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverb says too, you know, it's like, duh, <laughs> you know, I want to do anything. And here's the thing, while human energy can never accomplish the work of God, God did not accomplish, God does not accomplish his purposes here on earth without human effort. It doesn't... Rec- It isn't accomplished by strictly human effort, but God's will is never accomplished without our participating in it. Why? That's the way God planned it. He planned for us to participate with him. So, God must work in us before he can work through us. God must work in us before he can work through us. God's more interested in the workman than he is in the work. Because if he gets the workman the correct way, he should be. If, we're doing, if we are being the right person that God calls us to be, we will do the work that God wants us to do. So God is interested in the workman first and then the work, which, by the way, is another way of saying it's not the, the ends don't justify the means. He wants you to do it the right way. So, you know, part of the problem is that often, especially in certain circles, in certain areas in our lives, in certain organizations, uh, Christians obey God because of the pressure from without. When I was in a Christian college, there were things I did because, well, if I didn't, I got in trouble. But that isn't what God's plan is for God's plan is never to be put pressure from the outside in. God's plan is for the power to be within and to come out of us as a result of working out our salvation. So that's the God's plan. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? How do we, how does, how do we uh, it's, tap into God's energy? According to Ephesians 1, 8 through 18 through 23, there's power available for us. So the power then is how do we use it? How do we use the tools or what are the tools that, that God uses to work in us? And, and there are three tools that I think that we can identify with. And, and two of them are kind of cool, kind of neat. The third one, I got to admit to you, not my favorite. The third tool, not my favorite. Well, I'll tell you the first one. The first one is the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when we received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works also in you that believe. So the same Word of God that spoke the universe into being is the same power that can be released in our lives, and it's our responsibility to appreciate the Word of God. In other words, to treat it not as the Word of men, but as the Word of God. One, we appreciate the Word, so we understand that it is inspired, it is authoritative, and it is infallible. The second one is we appropriate the Word of God. We receive it. When we appropriate it, it means that we just don't listen to it but that we read it and study it. We we receive God's word, which means that we welcome it, and we want to make it a part of our inner being. And the result of that is that after we appreciate the word, after we appropriate the word, then we believe, which is the word, if I was going to alliterate it, it would be to apply the word of God. When we trust God's word and act on it, then God's power is released in our lives, because it is, for with God, nothing is impossible. For no word from God shall be void of power, according to the American Standard Version. God's word is about power of accomplishment in it, and faith releases the power of God. So the first thing, the first tool that we have is the word of God. The second one is another one that's pretty easy to use, although it's one of the last things we always resort to, and that's prayer. You know, it seems like I always wait to pray until I'm at my wits' end and go, oh, yeah, I should have prayed. <laughs> Why didn't I do that first? I don't know, because I'm an idiot. <laughs> Just personal problem, personal observation about myself. Power in prayer is the second tool. God uses this to work in the lives of his people. Ephesians 3.20 uh, 20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Power comes from God. The word of God and prayer, the two really cool things. There's a whole bunch. The Holy Spirit is related to the practice of the power of prayer in our lives. Remember uh, Romans 8, uh, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings of words cannot express. And and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance to God's will. Wow. In a couple passages in Acts, which we studied, uh, was that that the book? No, that was two books ago we studied Acts. In Acts 1.14, and they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Acts 1.14, Acts uh, 12.5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church prayed earnestly for him. Prayer is important. The word word of God and prayer together, Acts Acts 6.4. And and we'll give them our attention. the, The apostles said, we'll give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Those are important. Those are great. I love those two tools. Those are awesome. You want to take a stab at the third tool that I hate? Well, it's kind of like that. Yeah, it's suffering. Suffering. Yeah. Yeah, that's my oh Lord. No, not that. Suffering is important. It says that the Spirit of God works in a special way in the lives of those who suffer for the glory of Christ. Listen to this out of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something is strange were it happening, uh, where it's happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Really? I get to suffer? And what's my response supposed to be? It all joy. Oh, what do I do? Whine, moan, complain, ask God to get me out of it. It's too much, Lord. I can't handle it. If you were insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. For the spirit of, of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer... It should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even a meddler. How many of that do we get involved with that? Meddling in people's lives. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. I don't like that. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will it become for the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Really? That's that's God's command. Rejoice and continue to do what you know to do in the midst of the fiery trial, in the midst of when I'm in prison, in stocks in, Phil, in philippi and i'm singing in the middle of the night after i've been beaten i'm a roman citizen you have no right to beat me did he say that no he took the punishment and i did afterwards that was kind of cool you know it's like but hey you know what is it that why is it that we want we'll take the first two tools but we don't want the third tool suffering does what for us What's James say? You know, my book that I love to hate. When you go through fiery trials, different trials. Stronger. Yeah, you get stronger, and you're to consider it joy. Really? Do I have to jo- do I have to be joyful in the midst of trials? You know, there there's only been one or once or twice in my life. Most of the time, I don't I don't rejoice when I'm in the trials. But every once in a while, I re- I recognize and I remember. James and I go, oh yeah, maybe that's what I'm supposed to do, rejoice. You know what happens when I rejoice? What do you think happens? It gets a little easier to bear it. God seems to give you a little special grace. You find joy, now is it, it, am I happy? No, but I count it joy what to be considered a Christian. Why is it that Christ gets to suffer, but I don't? He suffered so I'd never have to put up with any punishment, right? I'd never have to be I never have to suffer. Armchair Christianity. I love it, man. Lazy boy Christianity. I just want to sit back in my chair and enjoy what God did for me. It's so great. Because the master did it, so I don't have to is that, is, that how we're, is, that what, is that what God tells us? The problem so often with churches today is what? We have pastors that for, a, a, for many churches preach that get saved and everything will be right. Anyone experience that? I, in my life, I got saved and everything seemed to go to hell in a handbasket for a <laughs> while. You know, the closer I try to get the Lord, the, the more trouble I get into, the more suffering I do. And I suffer for Christ for doing what's right. And you know what I did? I, when every, every once in a while I'd rejoice. Most of the time I didn't. Most of the time I complained. God had to hit me with a two-by-four. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm supposed to rejoice. Those are the tools that God uses in our lives. As, as, as a Christian reads the Word of God, as he prays, he becomes more like Christ. And the more he becomes like Christ, the more the unsaved world will oppose him and when we get to chapter 3 and verse 10 we're going to find out about the fellowship of his suffering participating in his sufferings which comes right back around to what we're talking about everyone wants the the power of the resurrection nobody wants to raise their hand for the fellowship of his suffering and I'm amazed at at how God's patient with, with me but the fact that the fellowship of his suffering does what it drives us back to the word it drives us back to prayer. Do you know the times that I grew the most in, in, in Christ? Were the times that I was going through times of trial and times of suffering and times of persecution for what I believed was the word of God and I was attempting to practice it and p- apply it in my life. And what happened was, that it, was a, it was a tool that drove me back. So think of it like a circle. You, you wor- The word of God, you pray, you start to apply it. God brings some, some trials into your life. It, what does it do? It causes you to go back to the word of God and pray and you get, you get stronger. And what? You go through trials again. You get stronger. You start going through the word of God. It's a, it's a cycle that we go through and it's important that we do it. And it's important that we do it without murmuring or arguing. Hmm. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I want to do anything but that. I want to murmur. I want to complain. By the way, anybody else, you know, any other example of people who murmured and complained that were people people of God? The Israelites. Yeah, the Israelites. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what? You and I are just spiritual Israelites. We grumble and complain. We're in the midst of wandering, in the midst of trial, in the midst of God trying to make us more like Christ. And we complain and moan and, and cry about it. And God says, no, "No, no, I'm doing this for your per- for your benefit." <sighs> Deuteronomy thirty-two five says they acted corruptly towards him that, and to their shame they no were no longer his children, but they were a warped and crooked generation. Uh, it, it, verse fourteen, do any do everything without complaining and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure the children of god without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe huh so moses is disappointed with israel god is disappointed with israel and and so the the idea is for us to look at the fact that this is the command is a positive force although it's framed in a negative response because this is the way israel was now we don't want you to be like them we want you to do what's right and we're going yeah okay maybe first corinthians uh, 9 chapter 10 verses 9 and 10 says this we should not test the lord as some did and were killed by snakes remember the remember the story in the wilderness and the snakes coming in yeah and so do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel lord your servant's being persecuted lord i need to get out of this lord is there a way to escape it's not fair that i have to suffer for your sake do I even recognize that I'm suffering? Now, by the way, if you suffer for doing something wrong, that's not, God's not in that. Okay, that's just you doing something wrong and paying the consequences. But when you suffer as a result of doing something that's righteous, do something for God's sake, that's totally different. Hey,
2: Val. Yeah. Uh, years ago at Kensington, did this uh, Life Interrupted uh, series. Uh-huh. In
0: Those are, those are great reminders. Great reminders. Yeah. By the way, God, Paul is not admonishing us to retreat from the world and to go into spiritual isolation. He's not talk, talking about building citadels. He's not talking about, you know, going out to Montana and starting our own community away from everyone else. He's, he's talking about us to, 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 to confront the needs and the problems of the real world so that we can become more like Christ. The, you know, the, the, the problem is, think about this, the Essenes, which was a group of, Christ, uh, of a Jewish, uh, a sect of Judaism in Christ's time, left, totally left the world. And we're not lived in, in communes. Okay. And, and as a result, had very little impact on much of, Christ, uh, much of Judaism. Pharisees, on the other hand, isolated and insulated themselves from the reality by developing an artificial kind of self-righteousness. Uh, they, they, it was totally unlike the, the righteousness that God called them to, to do and to be, and as a result of that, the Pharisees forced a kind of religion that was based on fear and bondage. And those of us who have been in legalistic churches know what that's like. We, we understand the, the, the fear and, and the bondage that comes as a result of that. And the, the fact is that those are the very people, the Pharisees, that crucified Christ because he was opposed to the kind of religion that they were espousing. It wasn't true religion. It wasn't truly what God wanted. So it's not by leaving the world, but by ministering to it that God's purpose is fulfilled in our lives. Now, I will tell you this. There's one thing that's kind of an interesting thing. This idea in verse 15, where it talks about uh, a light that shines stars in the universe. Uh, There's a Jewish tradition that compared the righteous to lights in a dark world. In fact, the Essenes, which I mentioned... There, there was this really interesting writing that was that was found that they wrote. It talks about the warriors of light against the warriors of darkness. And they were talking about an uh, an apocalypse that would happen, in, in their opinion, in which the light would overcome the darkness when the darkness looked like it would prevail. Uh, sounds a lot like what we anticipate happening at the end of, of time with Christianity. But <clears throat> we're told to to be without fault in the midst of a crooked and and depraved uh, generation. It means that we're, to be without fault means that we're incorporating being blameless and pure. Um, That's kind of tough to do, isn't it? Blameless and pure, to be lights. And yet as we're a light, God says that we, that people will not be able to criticize us. As a result of what we do, that we're that we're so so righteous that even though they're it's a, it offends them, they can't blame us for being righteous. <clears throat> so then he gives us a promise, starting in verse sixteen. He says that here's the promise: the promise is that joy comes from submission. What? Joy comes from submission. He 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 talks about. Jesus says that he overcomes lies with truth. Because he surrendered, he was victorious. (sighs) Matthew uh, 5, 3 in in, uh, uh, Philip's uh, translation says, How happy are the humble-minded, for the kingdom of of heaven is theirs. (coughs) It's the Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes. So joy is, uh, there's twofold joy that comes from a person who possesses and practices a submissive mind. There's joy in the hereafter, that's Philippians 2.16, look at this, where it says, As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast of uh, in the day of Christ, that I did not run and labor for nothing. So there's a future joy that comes, and there's also a joy in the here and now. Look at verses 17. But even now if I am poured out like a, a drink offering and the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you, with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice in me. So there's a possibility of a current joy and a future joy. Now, the interesting thing about that is that so many times uh, we we want the present we want the present joy without the fact that Future joy comes. Or sometimes we want future joy and we refuse to have present joy. God says we can have both. Now, is joy the same as happiness? No, it's not. Some have described happiness as an outward expression. Joy is an inward expression. So we can have joy in the midst of all of this. So many people associates sorrow with suffering, but Paul sees suffering and sacrifice as the doorway to a deeper joy in Christ. Do you have deeper joy when you go through times of trials, when God is putting you through the fire? Okay, no one wants to answer. It's strange how that works out. Okay, that's all right. It takes faith to exercise a submissive mind. We have to believe God's promises are true. We have to believe that that there's an ongoing work in our heart and our lives, just like there was in Paul, and that God works in us through word, prayer, and suffering, and we work out daily living uh, a life of of Christ-likeness and service to others. And God fulfills his purpose in us as we receive and believe in his word, Life is not a series of disappointing ups and downs. Rather, it should be a sequence of delightful ins and outs of God working in us and us working out. The example comes from Christ and the energy comes from the Holy Spirit. And the result of that is joy. And if I could learn how to figure out how to do that on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, I would be the happiest man in the world. And the problem is that knowing it and doing it are two different things. God calls us to do what he calls us to do. And the only way we can do it is by staying true to the word in prayer and going through the times of suffering. <clears throat> I don't like it. I don't want it. I would just as soon sidestep it. If there was a shortcut to becoming righteous, I would take it because I'm that kind of guy. I'm always looking for the you know the angle. What's the angle? What's the way of getting around this? God doesn't call us to that. Notice also that God uh, that Paul talks about here that he is poured out as a drink offering. In the Old Testament, drink offerings were not the main sacrifice; they were a secondary sacrifice. Um, the idea of sacrifice and service is accompanying in that in that whole process. It. It talks about he's being poured out. It is a present tense type of thing that is going on on an ongoing basis that he's being poured out. And, and Paul says this is how we should live our lives in a way that brings with us pouring ourselves out in the service and sacrifice of others. Which, by the way, I do often with a lot of grumbling Okay, God, I'll do it because it's the right thing to do. I'm not happy about it, but I'm doing it because it's what you told me I needed to do. Sounds like me. You know, yeah, right. And yet God says, you know, here, what's the, we're we're not going to get all the way through the, the, the context and the application, but again, the, the, uh, the deck is, for some reason, is always bigger than the, than the house. But uh, the important thing about this passage is that God is emphasizing unity of, of the congregation. He, we're going to find out that there is, a, there is a trouble, that is there's a dispute between two women, and this apparently is big enough that it's not just a minor a, a deal, although it could be, but it would appear the fact that, that Paul takes the time to write about it, in, in, later in this past, in, in chapter 4, is that apparently it was a big enough deal that he had to mention it because it was causing disunity in the church. And so he reminds them to avoid selfishness and, and to stand behind the, that stands behind the dissension um, and it can have some eschatological significance. By the way, anybody know what eschatological is? Never heard it before. Free word eschatological, end times. End times. Yeah. Pa- Paul reminds them that that uh, further than the fulfillment of their own uh, of their own commission to complete the task assigned to Israel is at stake because he talks about the fact that we're now almost like we're part of that we're the we're supposed to be lights to the Gentiles because the Israelites failed to be lights to the Gentiles and so. The church goes and becomes light to the Gentiles. And internal disunity uh, tarnishes the external proclamation of the gospel. Have you ever noticed that all of the infighting causes people to wonder about that church? Or about different denominations fighting against each other? Paul says we're to rejoice is what we're supposed to do in the midst of all this, but we're supposed to work for unity not for disunity work against disunity this is the purpose that God is calling us to in this passage he calls us to work towards salvation but part of that is to work towards the unity of the church in, in a corporate sense How's, how how are we doing with that you know yeah some of it's not so well I, I, I don't know if I told you this I, I think I told you last week I'm 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 frustrated by Americans who transport their problems around the world. You know, the rest of the world isn't arguing about, you know, whether it's Arminianism or Calvinism or how much of a Calvinist you should be. The rest of the world isn't doing that. We take our arguments (laughs) to them and cause more problems. We take our arguments to those that are you know that, that we don't we don't agree with their version of Christianity and so we say that they can't be Christians and we cause disunity in the church you know when when those of you who read uh, Richard uh, Wombrand's uh, I can't remember the title of the book oh about suffering for Christ in Romania Christ. I'm sorry tortured. tortured for Christ you know when they were in when they were in prison all the christians came together none of them were discussing their differences in well i can't associate with you you don't believe in you know communion the same way that i do i can't trust you because you don't baptize the way i do or you don't believe this about you know whether eternal securities they all they all were christians they're all fellowshipping together they were all praying for each other why because there was persecution from without why is it when there's no persecution from without, persecution always comes from within. You
2: know, I before about the Maureen revival. Yeah. Which, it just keeps on coming back to my mind, especially when we talk about about unity and and how I don't know
0: if you know this in like seventeen twenty seven. these uh, uh There was a there was a, a nobleman who allowed it who allowed Christians to to set up Uh, and live in his domain his area and there was a a great dissension between the the various groups of protestants who had come to live there so the result was that they started a prayer Round the clock, 24 hours a day, people were praying for the movement and for the unity of the church. And for a 100 years, it stayed that way. Can you imagine, Tom, you want to say something?
1: Sinful pride is a major
0: problem because of the divisions in the church. Well, yeah, because we, we, somebody wants to get ahead of us. Someone looks a little better. We always try. You know What we want to do is we always knock the other person down or the other group down so that we look better or we start to think well God's got a special anointing on us but he doesn't on you and you but just on me cuz you know I'm the important guy and it's all about pride you're right Tom it's it's a huge problem it's one of the things that I've I and I I'm sure that Steve Andrews has got many problems and I'm not here to identify those it's not my place but what I do what I do love about him is I've loved the way that he has been open-handed with saying to people hey so and so is starting a church over there some of you guys need to go there and help him and I'm thinking what pastor sends people away willingly I know a pastor that would that fought tooth and nail in fact I was on I was running one, a satellite that they had and I was told in no uncertain terms, can this this satellite become a church of its own? We need these people to give for the building of our new church. So make sure you don't take them into an, uh, a church plant. They can only be a satellite. Seriously? What if that was what God's plan was all along? Just saying. Uh, we need to stop. I'll finish up this application. We'll, we'll jump into the, the, the uh, uh, next portion of this, this next portion won't be nearly as long, but I want to get the rest of this application next week. So as, as God, we ask that you would help us, Father, to realize that your word, that prayer, and that suffering go together in helping us to become more like Christ. Help us to accept that and to accept it not with disappointment, but with joy that we are counted worthy To become more like christ help us to do so and to find joy in the midst of our our suffering joy in the midst of our trial because we realize that your goal is to make us more like your son so we thank you father for that even when we grumble and we pray that you would help us this week to live out a, a life of joy and we ask this in christ's name amen